join us uh, this morning. First thing I wanted to do is I wanted to introduce you to someone that uh, probably most of you have not, have not uh, met. Probably a few of you, but most of you do not know uh, this person. And this person is 19-year-old Spencer. I just want you to notice a few things. Well, first of all, this is my wife, Amy, and uh, my first date. We're at the uh, Target Center watching a Timberwolves game. Those are, uh, that is a, a, a blonde hair-dyeing job gone wrong, which uh, kind of looks a little bit orange. That actually also is a, a soul patch going on there, <laughs> a puka shell necklace, and a fake earring. That'd be a, <laughs> that'd be a clip-on earring there. And uh, I was joking with, with uh, some of our leaders this morning as we were praying for our service that Amy still wanted to go on a second date with me after this. And so, but then I, th- I thought, we're at a Timberwolves game, so we weren't sitting face to face. We're sitting side to side, so she didn't have to look at this. Anyway, so this guy is 19-year-old Spencer. So some of you actually did meet this person. So this is the, I was a part of the launch team when Hiawatha started. But the reason I wanted to tell you about uh, this guy that you, most of you probably don't know, is because today's passage in Galatians starts off with this phrase. Paul starts off by saying, you who desire to be under the law. You who desire to be under the law. And that was definitely this person right here. And in a lot of ways, still, still me, myself. So I was the firstborn. I'm a rule follower. I'm an achiever. And so uh, my heart, most of my, you know, life, I really enjoyed the rules. I really enjoyed hearing what had to be done, what had to be accomplished, what was required of me, because then I knew what I had to do to receive recognition and to receive acceptance and to uh, just feel good about myself. I got my identity from, from being a rule follower or from being an achiever. So I really liked the law, just like Paul is addressing. Those of you who desired to be under the law, that was me. I liked being under the law because delusionally, I thought that I could keep it myself. And when Jesus said some things like, you must be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect, or other, other places in the New Testament that said, if you, you sin in just one way, if you break the law in just one way, you're guilty of breaking the whole law, I thought, well, I kind of just read over those verses myself. Or maybe just thought, well, grace kind of covers those. So this, this uh, love of the law, this love of the rules, the Ten Commandments, the New Testament ethics, things like that, actually led to, to great arrogance and pride in my heart, as you can guess, right? If I, if I think I can follow all the rules, if I think God should be impressed with me because I can achieve and because I can do the law, that led to great uh, pride in my own heart, thinking that God, he should be really proud that I'm on his team. And naturally, out of this, I just wasn't impressed too much with the gospel. I was very thankful for it because it was the, the, the door to get me into Christianity, but I just wasn't too impressed with the gospel. The gospel meaning trusting in Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection for my salvation. And rather, I thought it was just the entry point to Christianity. And so my love of the law, of rules and commandments, led me to, to hate the gospel-centeredness of Hiawatha Church. So this person right here on the right, not Amy. Amy was, Amy was a great 19-year-old, very, very wise and mature. But this guy on, on the right would say things like, seriously, Chris, are we really going to talk about the gospel again? I, I literally have memories of me saying that in my head all the time uh, when, I was, when Hiawatha was first starting and I was, I was young like this. 
when are we going to get to the commandments, Chris? When are we going to get to the laws, the rules? I'm beyond the gospel. Give me the deep stuff. I can handle it. I'm a smart guy. I want the important theology, the stuff Christians need to know and to do. And today we're going to see Paul's response to a guy just like me. We're going to see his response to people that love Jesus but still really want to be under the law. Paul's going to respond and he's going to say, he's going to address this 19-year-old me. He's going to address my heart that's still tempted to believe this and a lot of us in this room who, whether we realize it or not, are still tempted to live under the law. And the way that Paul is going to respond is he's going to not just say stop it, although he could, and he kind of does, but the way that he addresses this is he, he goes back to an Old Testament story, a story that's at the very beginning of the Bible, and he shows that this, this, test, this, uh, this story is uh, symbolic of, of two different people, or the two different people in this story are symbolic of two different covenants. So he says, Paul's going to argue at the very beginning of the Bible in just the first few chapters that law and human effort actually don't lead to God being impressed with you. They don't actually lead to salvation, but rather they lead to slavery. And how God's promise, his good news that he would bring life where none existed, that gospel leads not to slavery, but to the opposite, to freedom. So this morning... We're going to be looking at Galatians uh, chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. And in this story, we're going to see these two women that, that Paul says they represent two different covenants. And both of these women bear children. One births children for slavery, while the other bears children who are free. So this morning's sermon is entitled, Who's Your Mama? So answer that question today with me. All right, so kind of to recap, Mark did a good job in that song. That song was really great, uh, seeing, seeing uh, Paul's heart for these people. So very simply, Galatians, that's, that's a region. And so Paul was a church planter, a pastor. He went through this region, preached the gospel. Churches were started, and then he left. And he's hearing, just like Mark shared in, in his song, that, that they uh, began to go off the rails, that they began to stop believing in the freedom that they had in Christ. And so Paul's writing back to them and again and again and again saying things in, in many different ways. And you're probably getting sick of it by now, but it's saying in many different ways how the gospel brings freedom, but the law does not. The law brings slavery. So kind of to recap, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 kind of recaps and just reminds us the context of what's happening. It says, yet because of false brothers, uh, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in so whether these are actually wolves that are really trying to hurt people or whether they're just false teachers that are Christians but are still confused on what the gospel really is, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. So what's going on in here is false teachers have slipped into these Galatian churches and are pulling them away from freedom that comes in Jesus Christ, freedom that is in the gospel, in order that they might bring them back in to slavery. So that's the setting of our, chap or, uh, of our passage for today, kind of a, a recap. So you can read with me. We're going to be in Galatians 4, verses uh, 21 through 31, through the end of the chapter. It'll be up here on the screen behind me, and it's also on the, that insert that's in your worship folder. 
starting in verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is for Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, for she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free man, free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. All right, so Paul starts off by, by saying a lot that's probably quite confusing to most of us. So what he does is he goes back to the, the very beginning of the Bible, in the first few chapters of the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and he, uh, he knows that the, that the church, or the Galatian churches, know these characters. So lots of different peoples, places, and events that are referenced, and we're expected to know. So I'm going to very briefly summarize, because he's, uh, he's assuming that we know who all these people and places and events are. And then from there, we'll get back into Galatians and unpack what uh, Paul is trying to say. So this happens over six chapters or five chapters, Galatians, or sorry, uh, Genesis 16 through 21. So if you want to read about that later, you can go back and get the full context. But essentially, this is what's going on. So let's start with a few of these characters. First is uh, Abraham. So this is just a normal guy at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. God finds this guy who's in a far-off land who's worshiping false gods. And God plucks him out of there and he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a promise with you. And so God takes Abraham out of that land and brings him into a new land. And God promises to bless him. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you land. And I'm going to make you and your offspring into a great nation. And here, you know, this picture is from uh, Abraham and God. They're outside and he shows them. God shows Abraham the, the night sky and says, I'm going to make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And then he says, and then through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And we actually saw earlier on in Galatians, we saw that this is actually going to come through Jesus Christ. So when God tells Abraham, through you, through your offspring, singular, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Galatians looks at that and says, hey, who's the one person, who's the one true offspring of Abraham in which the whole world receives blessing and salvation? It's Jesus Christ. So that's what happens with Abraham. God gives him a promise. Yet, the problem is, Abraham has a wife. And when God gives them this promise, Abraham is 75 years old, and Sarah, his wife, is 65 years old. But they don't trust God. They say, hey, we're really old. Hey, God, seriously, we've kind of been trying to have kids for decades and decades 
and decades. We've kind of been doing our part, wink, wink, and it's not working. So they don't trust God. They don't trust that God's actually going to provide an heir through Abraham and Sarah. That he's, they don't think that he actually can make uh, a great nation out of them because they are so old and because Sarah is barren. So fast forward 10 more years. They've been waiting. They've been trying to have kids again and again and again. They waited 10 years for God to come through in his promise, and he has it. Now Abraham's 85, she's 75, and they've given up hope. They've stopped trusting in God and his promise. So Sarah suggests that Abraham use her Egyptian servant, a woman named Hagar, in order to conceive a son and an heir. And even though this is maybe culturally uh, what's going on or culturally normal in that day, it still goes against both God's design of marriage and family. And even more importantly, it shows their mistrust that God can do the miraculous, that God's promise will come about. So Abraham listens to Sarah, and he sleeps with Hagar, and she becomes pregnant and bears a son, Ishmael. Just in case you don't know, that, that's supposed to be a Lego crib that's empty. So Abraham plus Sarah equals no baby. So Abraham sleeps with Sarah's Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and they have a son, uh, Ishmael. And you can guess, going all sister wives does not really end well for this family. There's actually great conflict, even right away, between Sarah and Hagar. So this conflict continues for another 15 years. God is true to his promise. When it seems like all hope is lost, when Sarah's 90 years old, after decades and decades and decades of trying to have a kid, God steps in and fulfills his promise, and they conceive a son named Isaac. And Isaac was not born through human effort, as our, as our passage said today, but rather Isaac was born through promise, through God's power alone. But once Isaac is born, the heir of Abraham that, that came through promise, the former heir, the heir that came through human effort, the heir Ishmael, the heir that came through uh, them taking matters into their own hands, there continues to be more and more conflict, and then it reaches a tipping point. Ishmael is mocking uh, Isaac, and Sarah sees this and uh, blows up, as we saw in our passage today, about the, the, the older son persecuting the, uh, Isaac. And Sarah tells Abraham to send Hagar away and her son Ishmael. And then we saw at the end of the passage where she quotes, uh, where she says, send away uh, the slave woman and her son. All right, so that's the story. That's the background. So Paul, again, this is like his, his eighth different way of arguing, Christian, you're not under the law anymore. Christian, the gospel's so much better than law. It brings freedom rather than slavery. So Paul steps in again and uses another argument by going back to a, to a story in the Old Testament that they all knew, showing that human effort leads to more slavery, that there's two covenants, one done by human effort, by the flesh, that leads to slavery, and one that's by promise, by God alone, by miraculous works, and that one leads to freedom. All right, so let's get back to our passage. Galatians 4, starting in verse 21, Paul starts off by saying, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, Spencer, 19-year-old Spencer, and then he says, do you not listen to the law? 
So here Paul starts off by, by saying a play on words. He says, those who desire to be under the law, those who still want to keep the law, so think the Old Testament law, think the Ten Commandments, think uh, the, 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 hundred of, the hundred, hundreds of commandments that God gave Israel at Mount Sinai. So think of those things when he says, those who desire to be under the law. And then he says, do you not listen to the law? So he's using a play on words. That second law he's referring to, the first five books of the Bible are also called the law. So it's saying those who want to be under the Ten Commandments, who want to be under the purification and the sacrificial laws, do you not read the first five books of the law or the first five books of the Bible? Because even there they show that God wanted to work through promise and that the law actually brings slavery. And then he goes on to use this story from the very beginning of the Bible, like I said, that argues against Christians wanting to still live as though they are under the laws of the Old Testament. Now before we jump in to see how he does this, there's a really important verse, a few, so we're going to jump down to, to verse 24 that helps us understand why Paul is doing this and how he's able to do this. Verse 24, he says, Now this, so speaking of this story that I just summarized, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women, Hagar and Sarah, are two covenants. So this is so important. Notice how the Bible reads itself. Notice how a New Testament author reads the Old Testament. It's these true stories of real people and also understands them allegorically. Paul says these are real people. This really did happen. There's lots of significance in this story and there's something even beyond what's happening there. We can read it allegorically and see that these, these two women actually stand for something. Figuratively, they're two different covenants, the law and gospel, the old covenant and the new covenant. There's an importance, a meaning that's even beyond what they understood. And this is huge for us to see as Christians, to see how the Bible reads itself, how the Bible interprets itself and understands itself. So for some of you, this, this might be new, and it might be strange that the Bible does this, because you might be reading Genesis 16 through 21 and be like, this has nothing to do with covenants. How is Paul getting there? This is so strange. You know, what's, I, I, I just can't get to the conclusion that Paul got here in this passage. But Christians have believed throughout history that the Bible is not just written by human authors, but that those authors were empowered by the Holy Spirit, that, that all the words of the Bible are inspired that the Holy Spirit is the author behind the whole Bible. The Bible talks about itself as being God-breathed. So if that is the case, then the books in the Bible written thousands of years prior can actually have meanings that the original author didn't understand. So when Moses is writing Genesis, he doesn't quite realize exactly the way that the promise is going to come through Jesus Christ of Nazareth how he's going to exactly die for the sins of the world and, and bring about salvation and blessing to the nations. Yet, if the Holy Spirit is the one that's empowering Moses and other biblical authors, then there actually can be a meaning beyond what the original author intended it. And that's what, is Paul, that's what Paul is doing here. We're going to see him do it multiple times, even in this passage. He's going to quote the prophet Isaiah and see how that points ahead to the gospel as well. And the entire Bible reads itself that way. So this is really helpful and just practical for us 
as we read and try to interpret and understand what the Bible says. It sees people and places and events and circumstances and locations, and it says that ultimately they point to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, they point to his mission, the gospel, to live a perfect life, to die in our place on the cross, to raise from the grave, and to usher in his kingdom, first through the church and then through his second coming. So this is not how most of the world views the Bible. So right now I'm reading this book by Nick Offerman. He's, uh, he plays um, Ron Swanson on, on the show Parks and Rec. And I'm reading one of his chapters right now, and in it he says, I grew up in the Catholic Church. I read the Bible. I think it's really great, but they're fairy tales. They're myths. And I hate it when people say that the Bible is true and that these people really are real and these things actually happen. They're not. They're myths. They're fairy tales. But they do give us good lessons on how to live our life. But just to be very clear, because this idea is everywhere, right? And, and maybe it's really, or even more so, here in the Twin Cities, kind of being like this mix of really liberal culture, while at the same time, a lot of us have some kind of church background, so we kind of respect the Bible, so it can't be real. So it must just be these fairy tales, these kind of stories that teach us good lessons. But just to be very clear, that's not what the Bible is. That's not what Hiawatha believes the Bible is. And that's not what Paul's doing. Paul's not saying Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and their sons, they're not really real. So that's why we can just say this is only an allegory. That's not the case, but rather they are real people. These real events did happen. And there's something even more important than what that story actually played out. That story is actually pointing ahead to something even more important which is the gospel. All right, so Paul's argument goes allegorically, these two women are two covenants. Let's go back to verse 22 again. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh or by human effort, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So he starts out by saying, okay, these two women represent two different covenants. One of these covenants... Hagar is from law. One of these covenants comes from human effort or from the flesh, and it is slavery. Paul reminds the Galatians of this story and then tells them you can interpret it as an allegory of the relationship between the old covenant, law, and the new covenant, which is the gospel. We'll get to the right side in just a second, but let's start on the left. So the old covenant, or law, is, is, uh, represent, or Hagar represents the old covenant or law. She is a, a slave woman, and out of her comes a son, Ishmael. So the law is born according to the flesh, just like uh, Ishmael was born to Hagar, through human effort, not through promise. The law, the old covenant, creates children of slavery, just as Ishmael, when he was born, was also born into slavery. The law corresponds to Mount Sinai. So that, was, that was the mountain in the Old Testament where God actually uh, came down onto a mountain and gave his people, gave the nation of Israel 
all the Old Testament law, all the Old Covenant. And then we saw last week, and in this week's passage, Chris talked about it last week, that the law actually persecutes those who are under the gospel, just as Ishmael persecuted uh, Isaac. So remember again, the Bible here isn't saying Hagar bad, Sarah good. Ishmael bad, Isaac good. One of them is, I mean, if you actually read this story, Sarah probably does a lot more bad things than uh, Hagar actually does. But remember, the point is, we're seeing these stories as a picture of something else. They actually point to something even more important. Something through God's sovereignty allows there to be a significance even beyond these actual real characters. And multiple times, we've seen this over and over again, Paul uses the analogy of the law and he links it with slavery. He links it with prison and enslavement and and, uh, being in chains. And he continues to use it, same, same idea, but with this new argument of these two women representing two covenants. So Paul says that there is a covenant of slavery, one that is represented by Hagar. Again, in verse 23, we read, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Ishmael was not born out of God's promise, but rather bypassing God's promise and actually saying God can't do his promise, so we have to take matters into our own hands. Abraham and Sarah essentially saying God can't or he won't do what he promised us. So we better accomplish God's will using our own strength, using our own cunning, using our own actions. Actually, God, he needs us in order for his promise to come about. We can please God apart from God himself. This is kind of like both shocking that people actually think that, right, as we're kind of removed from the story, and we're also probably at the same time thinking, yeah, I've done that in my life too. How many times have we ever said something like that? God's promised something, but it's taken a little too long, right? And these guys are waiting, waiting decades for God's promise to show up. So we do this all the time, right? And that is exactly what Paul is tirelessly preaching to these churches that he deeply loves. Stop trying to please God through a way that he doesn't want to be pleased. Stop trying to stay saved through a system that he intentionally made to not be permanent. Stop creating more and more and more slavery through your human effort, through your works of the flesh, and instead, trust in God's promise. Trust in God's promise alone and be children of that promise. Be free rather than be slaves. Notice again, what type of children does the law bear? It bears offspring of of Mount Sinai, the exact place where God gives the law to Israel in the Old Testament. These women are two covenants, verse 23 continues. One is from Mount Sinai, the place where God gave humanity or Israel the law, bearing children for slavery. So out of the law comes what? Children of slavery. And she is Hagar. Now Hagar is from Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. And that's what Paul is tirelessly getting at. He's saying this over and over and over again, that the law was never meant to bring freedom. Even though the law might be kind of good and kind of reflective of God and his nature in some ways, it was never meant to bring about freedom. 
the law here in verse 25, again, is, is symbolically connected to Jerusalem, the city in which Israel mostly and mainly uh, practiced this law, things like animal sacrifice and purification laws and, and working, or sorry, worshiping in the temple. This old covenant closely connected to Jerusalem is what Hagar symbolizes, and it gives birth not to freedom, but to slavery. But, praise God that there's two women. Praise God that there's two covenants. The story doesn't just stop there. The other covenant is not from law. The other, the other covenant does not come out of human effort and leads to slavery, but rather it's from promise. And it's through God's power alone, and it brings freedom. Verse 26 but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. We're kind of confusing here, but probably talking about the new Jerusalem that comes out of uh, heaven during Jesus' uh, second coming. A new eternal city that comes from God alone and is not from human effort, work, planning, and building like the original Jerusalem was. It's probably what he's referring to here. Verse 27, for it is written, and here again, Paul's doing the same thing. He's quoting Isaiah quoting the Old Testament and saying, even though Isaiah didn't really know the ultimate meaning of this passage, let's look ahead and see how this actually is pointing ahead to the gospel. So this, this bottom part here, verse 27, is from the prophet Isaiah. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Paul uses this quote from the prophet Isaiah to remind the Galatians that salvation is through grace alone, not through works. That God brought his promise not through a young, fertile woman, but through an old, barren woman. A woman whom it was impossible or impossible for her to have children. God miraculously brought forth Isaac through Sarah to remind them and us that his promise would come through him alone. Not through our own works, not through our own effort, or to use the language from this passage, that salvation is offered to the world and it would come through promise, but not through works of the flesh. Paul continues, verse 28, Now you brothers, so he's writing to the church in Galatia, Now you brothers, like Isaac, you are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So Ishmael persecuted Isaac. So also it is now, just like people who were uh, pushing the law were persecuting people that were all about grace. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Remember, Galatians is written to a church, a bunch of churches, just like us. Paul's writing to Christians, and he's saying, brothers and sisters, we're not like Ishmael. Our salvation has come not through us working really hard, but has come through promise. We are sons and daughters of, of the covenant that's represented in Sarah. We're like Isaac, not like Ishmael. Just like a master or a boss who will beat you, or fire you if you don't perform, the law brings crushing slavery, just like that. But now a new covenant has come through Jesus. In the gospel, a new way in relating to God has come. 
This new covenant is from promise. God alone, not human effort, not works of the flesh. It's from God's power, not our own. And it brings freedom to those who are former slaves. So now on to the right side. The new covenant is the gospel. So Sarah, who is a free woman, not a slave, represents this new covenant. She has a son through promise. God shows up miraculously and creates life where it didn't exist before. And that's symbolic of the gospel, symbolic of salvation that comes through Jesus alone. Isaac was born through promise. He was born by grace, just like us. That's our identity. That's our story, Christian. The new covenant creates free children, not ones who are born through a free woman, but then born into slavery, but rather we're born as free children. And new, the new Jerusalem, the, the end times when Christ comes back and creates a new Jerusalem that comes from heaven and from, from God's creation and work alone and shows that uh, God will now live among his people again. That corresponds to the new covenant. And again, people who live by grace alone will be the persecuted ones, being persecuted by those who are under the law. So now, instead of a taskmaster or an unappeasable boss, Christian, we are no longer slaves, but are free through this new covenant. And how are we made free? We're, we're made free by trusting in the only one who actually did live a perfect life under the law. Jesus actually did live that perfect life that we never could live so that if we put our faith in him, we will receive the blessing of his good work. We can be set free from the slavery and this prison that we are under. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, one of the first things he does, gets baptized, and then one of the first things he does in his, in his public ministry as an adult, he goes to the synagogue. And in Luke 4, we read this. So Jesus goes into the synagogue, and the, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, was given to Jesus. So Jesus unrolls his scroll and intentionally finds this passage in Isaiah. He unrolls it and finds the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This truth changes everything for us. It's an, and it's incredibly practical. If we put our trust in Jesus' work alone to bring freedom for people who are being oppressed, to bring liberty to those who are spiritually enslaved to the law and to sin and to death. We have a new figurative mother. We have been ransomed back from slavery. We've gone from slavery to freedom. And we no longer have a slave master or an abusive boss that demands that we do good works or else. So practically, this, this, this idea that the new covenant brings freedom, that Jesus shows up so that those who are oppressed, those who are spiritually imprisoned to the law, will actually have freedom. This changes everything for us as a Christian. This changes our motives, our security, our identity. Let's look at these three things just a little bit in depth. It changes our, our motivation. Our good works come out of our freedom. And as a response to the gospel. No longer do we obey or do our good works in order to earn our standing with God, 
but rather because our salvation is freely given through his work alone, through his promise, we want to respond. And these things might look the same on the outside, but on the inside, they're night and day, right? One works really hard in order to receive a gift. The other one receives the gift first. And then naturally, gratefully, their motivation wants to live out of that. This idea of Jesus' salvation bringing freedom changes our view of security. No longer do we obey in order to stay secure, but rather because we're secure, we can now freely obey. So no longer do we do good deeds and do good works in order to be saved and stay saved or to stay in the covenant or to stay in God's family or to stay on his good side, but rather now through the gospel, we already have security in Jesus. We are secure. We don't live terrified in fear as if we'll be banished from his kingdom or kicked out of his family or lose our salvation because we've sinned just one too many times. And finally, Jesus' freedom through the gospel changes our identity. No longer are we slaves. No longer are we servants. We're adopted sons and daughters of God. Like we saw earlier on in Galatians, we've been chosen. We're wanted. We've been adopted into God's family. So now we don't worry about losing our identity anymore. If you're an employee or if you're a servant or a slave, you have lots of fear. You have lots to worry. But you're, if you're a, a child, if you're a son or daughter of God, you can't lose that. So we rest freely in our identity and live out of that rather than trying to earn that identity. We, we, we're free to live in security in this new identity and to respond to the love that was given to us, just like my children can live in the freedom to know that they don't have to perform or work to stay my sons and daughters. So Hiawatha Church, God wants us to know this this morning. This isn't just a random letter written to random churches 2,000 years ago. But God wants us to hear this word today. He's speaking to us here today. He wants to remind us that we are part of a new covenant. If you're a Christian here today, you're no longer under the law. You're no longer under the old covenant. He wants us to know that. And that's why Paul has tirelessly been saying this. So out of this, what does this mean for us today? First thing is, as we leave here, cast out the old covenant of slavery. Whether this is the very first time, whether what you're hearing today is, is brand new or you actually have never believed in, in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of the sin, for a new identity, for a new motivation, for an eternal security that can't be lost. Maybe you've heard it before, but you never respond, responded to it today. Cast out that old covenant to use our language from today's passage. The only imperative, the only thing that says do something is this, cast out the old covenant of slavery. The majority of these 10 verses is just reminding the church, this is who you are. This is your identity. This is your security. This is your motivation. But we are called to cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So before we kind of 
unpack this just a little bit more and lay into it really heavily because I think it's so important for us today. Some of us might be thinking right away, well, well, Hagar's a real person. Ishmael's a real person. This doesn't really seem to jive with the character of God that he would just cast away this seemingly kind of innocent person. I mean, she, she had to listen to, to Sarah and Abraham, her master. What about this seemingly, seemingly innocent Ishmael as well? So before I'm going to really hound on this, remember, well, let me just tell you, in the story, we see God's gracious character. He actually pursues Hagar after she is cast out by by Sarah and Abraham. God does pursue her. He says, I see you. I know you. I care for you. I'm going to care for you. And actually uh, protects uh, Hagar and Ishmael. And Ishmael actually also becomes a great nation as well. So just kind of a side note. So we're going to hit this really hard because that's what Paul does. He uses this language because he's saying Hagar is symbolic of this. And this is what we're talking about. But if some of you and maybe most of you are thinking, yeah, but I don't like this language because Hagar is a real person. Just know in this story, God's heart is, is very compassionate and generous. But back to the analogy, back to the allegory, we are called Christians to cast off the slave woman. What, what she represents, a covenant of slavery. There's two ways for us to do this, to, to cast off this old covenant of slavery, of law. First one is, Stop desiring. That's how our passage starts today. Stop desiring to be under the law. 19-year-old Spencer, knock it off. Stop wanting to be under slavery. Stop wanting to be under the law. Realize what it really is. The law, in some ways, was great and, and did show God's heart and did point ahead to something even better than the law. But don't go back to it. Don't go back to it. Check your hearts right now. Do the hard work of, of seeing your motivation behind what you like and don't like, what, what you do and don't do. And see if you are actually desiring to be under the law, which I, I'm tempted to do as well. Maybe if you're a firstborn or someone who likes to accomplish things or you're a rule follower, this might especially be, t- uh, be applicable for you. But for all of us, stop desiring to be under the law. Like we said or saw at the very beginning of our passage, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law and see that it actually just leads to slavery? It actually was pointing ahead to something even better. The next verse after today's passage starts chapter 5, and since Chris stole some of my verses last week, I'm going to take one of his because it's just too good not to. So the next verse in our passage says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We maybe know this verse. It maybe seems very straightforward. But practically, let's look at it. What does this mean? For freedom, Christ has set you free. For freedom, you have been saved. It doesn't say for law, you have been saved. For, for a bunch of new rules, that's the reason Christ saved you. But for freedom, Christ has set you free so that you can live in freedom. And then he says, stand firm. So maybe you know this. Maybe I taught you this, Galatian Church, years ago when I was there with you, but now you've been been pulled away from that. So he's reminding them, you've been saved to live a life of freedom in Christ. Stand firm in that. Work hard to continue to believe in that. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The law brings slavery. So the word yoke, think of like this huge thing that's kind of on top of oxen. 
the law brings slavery, a crushing weight on our shoulders. So that's the first way that we can cast off this covenant of, of slavery is by stop desiring to be under the law. Secondly, cast away these, these false doctrines, these false gospels that come from man's efforts. So we need to do the hard work of seeing, of checking our own hearts, of taking thoughts captive, at looking at our, at our uh, motivations for why we're doing what we're doing. Intentionally, we're called to cast away false doctrines or false teachers or false gospels. This is active. When you hear it, when you start to believe it, intentionally cast it off. Intentionally get rid of it. And remember that our inheritance, it doesn't come through the law. Rather, it comes through the gospel. The law, all it does is bring slavery. And then secondly, today as we leave, trust only in the promise. Trust only in the gospel. Verse 28 ends with, Now you brothers, now you brethren, brothers and sisters, now you Galatian church, and to us, now you Hiawatha church, we're Isaac in this story. You, just like Isaac, Hiawatha church, we are children of promise. So, brothers and sisters, we're not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. So we are Isaac. And just like Isaac, our spiritual birth was miraculous. Where there wasn't life, God showed up and created life. It was by God's power alone. God is in the business of creating life where it never existed before. Creating life miraculous, miraculously through his power alone. So trust in that. Christian, trust in that. That is our story. Not God saves us, now work really hard to go back to that same slavery. But rather, trust in the fact that God is the one that did everything. Trust that our story is one of Isaac and not Ishmael. Trust in the promise alone and not continually running back to living in slavery. Let's pray. God, we thank you for you not letting us stay in slavery. We want it. We want to go back to it. So many of us, if not all of us, our, our hearts just want to go back to that yoke of slavery. We want to get our identity. We want to get our motivation. We want to get our security from just how, how good we are, how hard we're working, how we're lining back up with, with that. But just as Galatians 5.1 said, Jesus, you saved us to be free. Not you saved us in order to just do more and more good works. Those good works come, but they come out of our new identity, out of our security. But we're not, we're not saved and then we return back to the law. We're not saved and then return back to slavery. So God, help us practically work through that in our lives. Help us to work really hard at, at looking at our motives and our thoughts and our actions and seeing if we are thinking that God should be really impressed with us because we're following the laws really good. Or that uh, when we're not, that we're actually really far away from him and that we're maybe sitting ourselves out of your family and out of your kingdom. So God, give us a healthy understanding of our identity, a healthy understanding of these two covenants and that we're saved into the second one. We need your help to believe this, to understand this, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond together. Amen.